This is gonna be fucking fun. Revolution Brewing. I'm Pete. I'm Ryan. You are in the hole with Major League A-Holes presented by Revolution Brewing. We are both imbibing on Revolution Brewing products tonight. You've got the, what was that called? This is the Freedom of Expression, a session sour ale with strawberry and rhubarb. It's quite refreshing. I've got the anti-hero, of course, the staple, my go-to IPA. Uh, yeah, we have a very special White Sox postmortem edition devoted entirely, an episode devoted entirely to the White Sox, which they deserve because this was an eventful ALDS that has many, many layers that we need to break down. Uh, might be more enjoyable for me and less for you, but uh, we'll get through it. I'll help you through. I won't, I won't be too, too merciless, but. I know. Yeah, it's hard when your team did go to the playoffs this year. You know, <laughs> hey, it sucks. It's, it's easy just to sit back and just Oof. enjoy everything. Have no consternation whatsoever. It's weird. Uh, yeah, so we're going to break down. We, we already broke down game one on the previous episode, 84. So we're going to break down games two, three, and four. And, of course, we will have uh, an asshole of the week. We have uh, some shit you couldn't make up. We've got another Bob's bad tweet. We got, I mean, really, it's breaking, uh, breaking uh, off-season news is what Bob's yeah. already thrown out yeah, there. He's throwing some, throwing some shit out there. We'll already, have a, already screwing the White Sox up already. I'll have an asshole question at some point, and we have a brand new segment, anti-hero of the week, in honor of our sponsors, Revolution Brewing. Uh, so we'll explain that one in a bit, but. Let's go ahead and jump into the news. Now here's the news. It's the news. The big news. Oh, fuck, Scotty, that is good news. That is great news, man. Let's bring it all home as Major League Baseball presents This Week in Baseball. All right. Well, how do you want to? So what? I think we just well, start with game two yeah, on so as, as Friday Smitty, night. Smitty pointed out, we're going to, we're going to, the, the best way to keep this sort of on course and not go here, there, and everywhere is go chronologically. So game two, you've got Lucas Giolito on the mound, on the bump against Valdez. And neither one went very long. In no. fact, they both went four and a third, giving up the same amount of earned runs, although Gio only had three hits, but he had five walks. Mm. Um and foreign four, runs foreign runs they, they 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 were identical they they have they both have an 831 postseason era and when geo left the game uh, things were were quite even it was when the vaunted white Sox bullpen oh. got a hold of the game and uh not to para to para pitched well he pitched a scoreless inning which begs you begs the question like I know the Brantley matchup happened, and that's the one out bummer gotten that inning. But you know, you used Tapera the two innings the next game, and yeah. he had two clean innings. So 
you know, there's so much to talk about from a managerial standpoint in this series. Whew. Well, the and, other question is there was no Kopech in the first two games too. So the bullpen management was well perplexing, I guess. Well, I think the management was so, and, and I, I'm assuming it's Tony and his staff sitting around and planning out four games five games mm. the problem is <laughs> we've talked about there's this. there's times you stick to the plan and there's times where the game dictates something else needs to occur mm-hmm. and tony already had in his head well you know we really are gonna need Kopech for possibly cease and and rodan Mm-hmm. So I can't possibly use him in either one of these first two games, which is by far the most insane, incredibly yeah. bad way to manage the postseason. Yeah. It, we, you know, we talked about this before, you know, how it reminds me of the Dusty Baker's thinking back in. Yeah. Uh, whenever. Oh, 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 no, it was actually uh, Lou Pinella in 07 and 08 where he was managing for. Yeah. That's the right. next Luke game. Pinella, yeah. Just that idea. Just it's not the same situation, but the idea that you're managing for the next game. You know that 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 makes sense in the regular season when you're trying to manage a 162 game season. But when you've got to win every fucking playoff game, you have to adjust your thinking a bit. So it was kind of kind of amazing that he wasn't able to adjust, as you said. But yeah, he like, he he kind of yeah he kind of managed. <clears throat> it's. It was like sort of like the hangover from the end of the season. Yeah. Like if Kopech, it, let, let's just be honest. If Kopech's future is the starter next year in the lineup, which is how they stretched him out a little more throughout the season to start to prepare his arm yeah. for that, then you use him freaking four days in a row, you yeah. know, especially with well, yeah, off days they... in between. What are, what are we, what are we doing here? Right. Yeah. And, you know, Bummer comes in, he gets Brantley, who prior to that, he actually ended up getting a Brantley and he struck him out in all three appearances against them. But Brantley had some insane, like 800 batting average against them. Yeah. So the initial matchup didn't even make any sense from that standpoint, but it worked out there. But then Bummer was just Bummer. He had he had them hit three or four ground balls, and they all got through the mm-hmm. infield for hits. They were not. He did not pitch poorly, but he ended up giving up three runs, and yeah. and it just that was a, that was a bad play. Well, actually, some of the I think one of the earned runs was due to Kimbrel coming in, and then of course completely shitting his pants as always. And it's what he does in a White Sox uniform, and and two thirds of an inning, and and a complete fucking disaster with a home run. I mean, so I mean, <clears throat> the the other thing you know with with that second game too, it's like we got the four runs, and then like the the bats after the fifth, you know, were, were shut down shut down and you end up losing nine to four. Where did the Lurie Garcia botched play in right field happen? Is that in the seventh, I believe? Oh yeah, that was, yeah. I'm glad you brought that up. So <clears throat> possibly again, terrible fucking managing mm. at this point. So I understand 
I understand that to- I understand to a degree what Tony was doing, but I don't think you move Lou Ray to right field in that situation. I don't think you take out Engel. Yeah. Why do you have Adam Engel? You have him to play in the outfield. He is your defensive specialist. His bat yeah. is a bonus. So to take yes. him out for a pinch hitter, which they took him out for Cesar Hernandez. Hernandez. Yeah, Aren't they, they, wouldn't you rather have Engel up than Hernandez? I mean, well, it was a switch hitter. I think it was, it would have been righty on righty. Yeah, but boy, I mean, I'm just sacrifice. I'm, that, I mean, I'm, I'm telling you the logic. No, here, I, but, I, but I, no, to yeah, sacrifice, I get it. Like, to sacrifice to, to, a, a guy who I think we all would have thought would have played for defense in a situation like this late in the game, mm-hmm. which he did all year. Yeah. He took, he took, he, he, he would take, uh, Jimenez out of the game and, and put Billy Hamilton out there, or he'd even, he'd even put Vaughn out there. And that, and that, and that's even the other thing you had Vaughn as DH. So mm-hmm. you could have put Hernandez in the game and he could have taken over the DH role and Vaughn could have gone out to right. Even It's almost like the, like Tony got wrapped up in the moment and didn't, didn't think he was thinking long-term at some times and thinking short-term at other times. He was just kind of wrapped. It was wrapped up in the wrong thing at, at certain times. It was just, yeah, he definitely was not a hall of fame manager in this series. He's not the reason we brought him to this team. Legit. I am wearing a 1983 logoed hat Mm. because it felt a lot like 1983, to be honest with you guys. Ouch. Um, And you know, the move that frustrated me most, none of the pitching moves really frustrated me. Those are the guys in the bullpen he's got out there. And those are the yeah. guys you call upon, right? You got to, re- you got to be able to rely on bummer. I yeah. Mean, you can't just say, yeah. Oh, it was a mistake to put bummer out there. That's yeah. He's he's, he should be great. I mean, that was, yeah. should be the, the strength well, of your team. I, we've been talking about all season long was your yeah. bullpen. So, so you should, should be okay. But, but, but the, the substitution of Hernandez taking out a, and putting in basically a defensive liability in right is just inexcusable. Yeah, I just I, I sent you the text at the moment wondering why Garcia was even in the I didn't realize how the, the pinch hitting had, had worked out and rotated angle out of it. So thanks for clearing that up in the moment. But yeah, uh definitely odd, definitely costly. Um I guess um the other part of that is the the stat came out after game two is you had 18 hits through two games, but they're all singles. Yeah. Which is kind of, it's almost impossible, <laughs> especially with your lineup. I wouldn't, I wouldn't think that that has happened at any point in the season where you'd go 18 hits in a, in a row or all singles through two games. seems like enough hits. They just weren't at the right times. Or yeah. Right I mean, hours, so. they were, I mean, it looked to me like they were just, I think their approach was, you know, take what they're going to give you and try to put the ball in play, which mm-hmm. calculated to a lot of opposite field, you know, base hits. But, you know, if you got one out and you got bases loaded and then it ends in a double play, who fucking cares yeah. if you had three hits that inning or two hits in a walk or whatever? Like, it's situational hitting, you know, was probably, you know, overall i mean they won 93 games so how bad was it well it when it wasn't you know it was really bad at times and um 
you know, it reared its ugly, it reared its ugly head in, in the playoffs through this whole series against Houston. I mean, you could definitely tell like Houston was the team that's been in the playoffs for the fifth straight year and going to the ALCS for the fifth straight year. I mean, they, yeah, they, um, by the way, that's an impressive rod cheating or whatever that that's, that's, I didn't realize that until they were talking about that after they had clinched, but uh, the, the other thing I need to talk about for game two was the broadcast. Oh uh, yeah. So Jesus. I I almost forgot that. (laughs) Yeah. It leads us into an early, we usually have these at the end of the show, but I'm dropping in asshole of the week. What is your problem? You insensitive asshole. Pardon my French, but you're an asshole. Who the fuck is this asshole? Am I wrong? You're not wrong, Walter. You're just an asshole. Okay, then. Uh, Yeah, the MLB Network decided it would be a good idea to throw in three white guys, old white guys into the booth whose ages combined to 216 years old. Uh, Bob Costas, Buck Showalter, and Jim Cott. And amazingly enough, three old white guys got a little racist by the end of the show. Uh, actually it, it's, it's all on Jim Cott. I'm not going to, I'm not yeah. going to throw in the other guys into this, but Jim Cott, uh, made, made a very, uh, thinly veiled, uh, ridiculously racist slavery comment in re- referring to Johan Mankata. And, uh, he was trying, he was, he said he was trying to compliment him, a uh, very strange way to do it. Uh, he, I won't even say what he said, but it was definitely a, a slate, a, it was definitely about slavery. Uh, it's just something that should never be said. Uh, a ridiculous statement to be made anywhere, let alone during on in public on the air during a baseball game. Un, unreal that it, that this shit still happens. But the man's eighty-two years old, twenty-five-year uh, veteran of the major leagues, uh, former White Sox at one time, I believe. Uh, he did say he was trying to pay him a compliment and it was poorly worded to say the least to say the least. Yeah. Uh, but his apology was actually pretty solid. He didn't give the, the lame, you know, if I offended anyone, then I apologize. He didn't say that. He said, my, my, uh, my poorly worded comments were harmful or hurtful and insensitive and incorrect. And I apologize for that. He wasn't, he wasn't like, mincing words at that point fortunately so that's the only thing i'll give him credit for but that broadcast was so bad i mean that, it, that was, was def- it was that was definitely the the worst part of it by far but bob costas is one of my favorite announcers of all time and he's actually struggling now he's 69 years old i hadn't noticed this before i haven't seen a ton of ml mlb network broadcasts this year and so i hadn't noticed it but he he was struggling with just giving details of the game. He, at one point he said, you know, closing out an inning, going to break, he was saying the, you know, Houston had, had scored to take the lead when they had actually tied it or the opposite way or whatever. It was just and like, that's not right. And one time he called Aloy Jimenez Elroy, which was classic. Yeah. A couple times he said, Elroy. Did, was it in a couple that, times? In, in, in that, in that, uh, little segment there yeah i caught that and then immediately <laughs> checked out social media and elroy was i don't know if it was trending but i saw it a lot of my timeline which i found hilarious 
I didn't have any trouble with Buck Showalter, which I thought of anybody Buck, would probably have the most trouble. That's he, what he was, I thought too. He, was, he was actually the most solid dude in there. And he yeah. has this weird, he kind of sounds like just a slightly older Kevin Costner. And mm. when the broadcast started, I didn't hear who the announcers were. Like when I, by the time yeah. I had kind of turned it on and I was like, is Kevin Costner broadcasting this? <laughs> is this like a field of dreams leftover thing or something? And I'm like, Oh, it's good old buck. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. Yeah. So that, that for a painful game for you made even more painful by a, a bad broadcasting crew, like which come on MLB now we're just throw throwing at least a little bit of youth in, yeah. in there. Some, I mean, when Buck Showalter is your, young <laughs> your shining star, 65 shining years old. star of, the, yeah. of the group. Um, I will, I will say I, I'm going to stick with my theory. I shared with you Smitty in that uh, they, the broadcast crew was an old ode to the managerial matchup. Ah, yeah. This is the oldest managerial matchup. So 149 said, years. Let's get let's get the oldest TV crew we can in their broadcast team in there to let's pay the homage in here. Yeah. <laughs> That's you know, great. We crust it up with the with the managers. Well, I think we need to move on to happier times into game three on Sunday night, as I refer to it. Black Sunday Socks Magic, if it were an album title. Uh, what an atmosphere. Sunday Night Baseball, South Side of Chicago. I'm proud of you guys. That was that was a, as an electric broadcast, electric feeling on TV as I've, I've seen in quite some time. The blackout, which I kind of mock because it's like you kind of fade out. You can't really see what's happening if everyone's wearing black. It was cool. It, I've seen, I mean, I saw it, what, 2008 was the last 2008, time? I was there in 2008, yeah. All right. It was impressive. I'm, I'm proud of you guys for that. That, that was a, hey, that was thanks, a cool atmosphere. Man. I'm Fucking getting teared up over here. Crazy game. I mean, it, it lived up to everything. So I'm sure you've got plenty of thoughts. Uh, yeah, I mean, that was <clears throat> that was the game I really felt was uh, <laughs> kind of like a turning point and a momentum shift in the series. Um, like the Sox, you know, Timmy got three more hits, which made him break an MLB record for the postseason. He has the most hits ever in the first five games played in the postseason. So, or yeah, first six games played in the postseason, something like 16 hits or something like that. So that was a new MLB record that, that Timmy said. And as Timmy goes, it seems the team goes uh, more on that. in the next game, mm-hmm. um, you know, pretty much everyone got involved in, in some manner, uh, even the bottom of the order, which the biggest blow was Lou Ray Garcia, who did not miss. He did not miss. There was such excitement in this room here where I brought that that Charlie ripped off his shirt And started he's dancing. He's watching too much wrestling. Started dancing <laughs> like crazy when 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 Luray jacked that ball out of the park. Um, now Luray's got he had like five home runs in the entire season. Yeah, he did have so, like fifty four RBIs. But yeah, yeah. But that, that was a very unexpected. Yeah, kind of, the center field dead center. Yeah, that, that's part of the White Sox you know, playoff lore where like remember pods hit that yeah. unexpected winning. Oh, I remember. <laughs> oh yeah. 
Remember 2005? Because that's what I want to think about right now. I haven't been, haven't been reminded <laughs> about that at all over these last fucking 16 years. But Well, really not much lately. But um, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know what to say uh, about that this game other than I kept having weird Ricky Renteria flashbacks. Um, mm. And it happened more in games three and four than it did in, in one and two. But I, I realized like Cease was not, not getting, he, well, part of his problem was he kept throwing to spots that were sometimes strikes and they weren't strikes and it went both ways. I'm not, I'm not. Yeah. It. So, so he started, he kept throwing to the outside edge of the plate, which was sometimes called a strike and sometimes wasn't. And it got him in trouble because he was trying to nip too much and basically led to him leaving after one and two thirds. Well, um, I've got a theory on that before we move on to that. He, yeah, he was throwing a hundred miles an hour in the first inning and just, yeah. just cranking and definitely feeling that energy of the blackout. Um, but AJ, Przinski even pointed this out that he thought you'd have to be a little careful being too amped up because you could lose your legs quickly and lose your stamina. And I feel like that might have led to his his control issues in the second that eventually got him out with what just two outs in the second or in yeah, the, yeah. Two out, yeah two outs in the Kopech had to come in yeah Kopech came in uh, so that was a look, theme for your starting pitchers just very early exits yeah I mean that and. And it's not surprising we lost the series with that occurring because kind of what held the team together, especially through the toughest stretches when we were not at full strength offensively, was just great starting pitching all year. Yeah. Um, I mean, the White Sox threw something insane. I have the number here, actually. The, the, the White Sox pitchers threw 6,600 pitches over 95 miles an hour this season. Mm. That was 1,500 more than the closest team in baseball. Could that – wow, I haven't heard that stat. That's interesting. Could that have led to them being, like, overworked or, like, overworking themselves or – Yeah, like, I mean, I mean yeah. We definitely sure. saw drops in velocity from Rodon. I mean, Rodon is a shell of his – I mean, he – he came out blazing, but you could tell that he was only going to be able to pitch a couple innings. He's not what he was at the beginning of the season, but you know, Lance Lynn kind of tailed off in this, you know, in the last month or so, and was definitely not great in game one. So I wonder if there's a correlation there. I wonder if there's more research to be done. That, that's the first time I heard that stat. That's, that's yeah. fascinating. Yeah. It's a lot, a lot of hard throwers over there. Yeah. Um, Kopech came in, did a pretty good job. The ball that left the park, even the broadcast booth said, we thought that was going to be a fly out and yeah. it ended up being a three run homer. Of course, we returned the favor the next inning when Grandel did the exact same thing, which looked like it was going to be a fly out and, and, and left the park. And then things kind of went the, everything shifted at that point. Somehow the, team that never swings and misses struck out 16 times in that game which mm. is incredible Tapera had two scoreless innings bummer looked like bummer he had four strikeouts over an inning and a third they brought Kimbrell in as a as a confidence booster for a third of an inning he he, he managed not to let anyone on 
<laughs> and then Hendricks had a uh, had a clean ninth. So uh, everyone that you know, another bright spot for me in that game was just the young Gavin Sheets going two for mm-hmm. four with a run, and and we'll talk about his continued performance in the next game. But you know, really, it really felt like. Everything had shifted, but I still had the game five looming in my head and the colors coming back in game five because he's been so dominant against the Sox all year. So even if we won game four, and I, I said it on the bra, I said it after game one. I said, even if we go to the fifth game, I don't yeah, think I we're going to win the series. Um, but I think the rain delay crushed all white Sox fans yeah dreams a little sooner but did you have anything else you want yeah to i've got a lot more for, we, we should devote a lot more time to game oh three. we gotta we gotta talk about the post the post game of uh, there's tons game, to talk about game three too before yes. we get we'll, we'll we'll get into game four and everything after the break but uh i think we need to back up a little bit halfway through or early still in the in game three uh Things weren't going your way right away, and but things turned at a specific moment. And I, I think we, we will all remember this forever as the graphic pops up over your shoulder. Our new segment, Anti-Hero of the Week. Look, I ain't in this for your revolution, man. I'm not in it for you, princess. I expect to be well paid. I'm in it for the money. You either die a hero or you live long enough to see yourself become the villain. I am the one who knocks. I think the the anti-hero is the the hero the hero we needed not the not the one we deserved and this one is Kane guy uh, took over the internet took over the world for a time uh uh, 71-year-old Robert Holt, whose identity came out the next day as he was doing a media tour, a uh, congratulatory media tour across Chicago. Um, uh, 71-year-old man uh, decided to take out his cane and put some kind of voodoo on all everything that was happening on the field against, against the Astros. Uh, he had like the evil eye, the hex eye, and he was shaking his cane at him, and it totally tur- turned the tide of the game as bizarre things started happening that's where i think that was before the grand all home run definitely before garcia's home run. he put he put the magic into garcia's uh bat the white the south side sorcerer is what i was calling him uh more bizarre shit was happening later on there was like five infield hits off of Grenke that led to a few runs but the, the coup de gras was the swinging bunt essentially from Grandal that went to first base and he took a very odd route to get to first base, which made the throw home to get, uh, I believe it was Louis Robert out at home, bounced off his shoulder and went awry and into the, into the sand scoring, I think two runs scored on that. And that's when the wheels came off. And I don't think it was any coincidence that Kane guy was heavily involved in that uh, just prior to, to the mayhem that we saw unfold a lot of, a lot of talk about that play. Dusty Baker came out of the dugout and was freaking out. I thought AJ and uh, Adam Amin and even Adam Wainwright did a great job explaining what was going on. 
that there's the, you know you talk about the base run the base runner going to first has to stay inside that that box in foul territory to give the catcher a, a, a way to throw to first well that's the opposite of how that play happened it was the first baseman trying to throw home and there's no obligation for grandall to get out of the way or run anywhere he can run anywhere he wants basically before he gets to 45 feet then he needs to be inside that box that's in ter- foul territory so dusty was trying to argue he he was running inside the baseline but that rule doesn't actually apply to that which was i i had never seen that before i don't know if you had i i w- the first thing i thought of is he, sh- he was should have been called out. it was actually would have been a double play if that's how they had ruled it which would have been incorrect um had you ever seen that before where uh you know a runner base runner gets in the way of a first baseman throwing home you know, I've never seen a throw bounce off of a um, catcher's. Uh, we'll say catcher in this in this instance because catchers are legendary in White they Sox know what they're playoffs. Doing. Well, the and, irony is that AJ was calling this all yes, as, as yes. it unfolded. Who is yes, one of the most famous plays in White Sox history. A, yes. a wily catcher doing wily things. Yeah, and I think it's you know knowledge of the game and the fact that to your point, the if the play is at the first baseman or any of the infielders or even the pitcher, the runner establishes the baseline exactly. and how he's running. It and was that bizarre was, where he I, did it. I mean, it, I it, looked, it looked crazy, but he can do whatever he wants when he's I running think, th- at that point in the, in the baseline. So I, I think it was AJ said to Wainwright, you go, you'll be careful. Cause he could essentially just run right at you if he wanted to. <laughs> uh, at first and then make a then make a beeline so i like i like when aj figured out like how the rule actually worked because i'm not sure he was fully aware at the time until they started walking through it and he's like well shit i should come back to baseball if i can if i can get away with shit like this yeah he was was getting inspired by the by the craftiness by the way quick diversion for a second he is a plus in in the i couldn't believe how good he was he's so great he is so great because he's you know why? Because he doesn't, he's just an asshole. So he's not going to sugarcoat it for either team. He's just going to say how it is and be really brutally honest about things. And that's yeah. why I think he was great. The coolest thing is I don't like Adam Wainwright much. And I, I've never heard him broadcast before, but it was really cool to have a catcher and a pitcher bouncing ideas off of each other in the booth. And I think I think that's where they are really good. And Adam Amin just sort of sat back and, and let him go and, yeah, uh, it it was fascinating. They they broke down stuff very quickly. AJ, boy, if you're looking for a, we'll, we'll get to this in the off season maybe. But if you're looking for a new manager on the South Side, yeah, I, well, I would his, highly. His name, his name has already come up as. I'm not as, sure if he's interested in it, but he was. Yeah, he you could tell his thought process was that of a manager at this point. Like how how he was picking out things way before they were happening and what should be happening and critical things that weren't happening. Yes which is awesome. That's all you could ask for in a broadcast, but boy, I would not be surprised to see him potentially on the South side fairly, fairly soon. Cause you're going to have to have a new manager at some point performance or not just age is going to catch up with the TLR. So, uh, so yeah, I mean, that's, that was, that was another fun, fun aspect of, of game three. Um, Post game three were, had lots of interesting things going on. Um, First of all, you 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 briefly mentioned the 
Ryan Tapera's comments uh, after the game where he was bringing up how often they had the Houston batters had struck out in Sox Park and had not been striking out at uh what is it minute maid park is yeah that I, I think Whatever. i think that's Houston. Call, yeah it's minute maid park yeah. used to be enron field the enron went away because they were yeah. cheaters too but um so yeah i, I while i think tapera's comments were i mean they're accurate i guess i didn't fully understand why he needed to say that uh why he needed to antagonize at that point what, what was what why i guess is my only question yeah i, just, I, I don't you, i yeah you could equally say why not. I mean, you can say whatever he wants, but it was just, a, I thought it was kind of odd to, to be jawing and making accusations and everything else in the middle I, of a series. But I, what I found more interesting was when um, the Astros had multiple chances to just outwardly deny it. They did not. Yeah. So yeah. that's part of the, that's part of their brand now. I mean, that's, that's their image. They, they like, they liked wearing the black hat, I guess. So, well, that wasn't quite to the level of shit you couldn't make up, but that's that's where we're going into now. Oh, you guys like to tell jokes and giggle and kid around, huh? What have we got here? A fucking comedian. <laughs> For a Sturkey Cemetery. Come to the coast. We'll get together. Have a few laughs. Uh, there was plenty of shit you couldn't make up. The, the biggest, uh, at least after game three, was... Barstool Sports, <laughs> White Sox Dave, uh, White Sox Dave. I've always described him as a miserable prick with a punchable face, uh, but it came close. I yeah, it got I've, close. It got close. As a he had a basically a publicity stunt that went awry on him, uh, where he found John Cusack, famed act, Chicago actor. Uh, <laughs> Famed Chicago baseball frontrunner. Uh, he is a fan of both the White Sox and the Cubs and very prominent in both parks when they are in the playoffs. Um, this is not a new thing. This is this is goes back to 05 when he first appeared in the park. Yeah. So so rightly so. I mean, a, a hardcore, angry White Sox fan that White Sox Dave is has always called him out. This isn't it's not a new bit for him. The new part of it was that he could get get a camera crew with him and uh, actually confront John Cusack. who was totally blindsided. He was having a conversation with, uh, I don't know who he was talking to, but did you, did you notice Cusack's get up? He was wearing like a bandana over his face. Which yeah. Say is for COVID, but also to kind of conceal his identity probably. Yep. Um, but somehow White Sox Dave spotted him out right away, but uh, he had the fingerless gloves and a, just an all black hat. He was very inconspicuous, but uh somehow he engaged directly with WSD in the debate that uh, Dave wanted to have that you can't be a Cubs and White Sox fan, which I actually agree with 100%. <laughs> I'm not a, I'm not a Chicago native, but I, you know, my, my history with the White Sox is long. Uh, I've talked about it over and over again here, but I had never had any desire to be both a White Sox or Cubs fan. So I've never fully understood how a Chicago resident could embrace both teams. And especially since at least in my time there, since 97, it, the vitriol was, was definitely up. Um, maybe it's increased over the years and I just haven't noticed cause I've been in the midst of it, but it seemed pretty obvious to me that there should not be a Cubs slash slash Sox fan. So I, I agree with Dave. The, the part I disagree with Dave is 
just trying to do a gotcha moment. Uh, Cusack, who had no idea what was happening, he he actually shut him down pretty quickly. He's like, oh, well, I've been in a movie. I've, I've played famous White Sox. And then he was giving, he was giving him trivia lessons and stuff, which is kind of weak too. But well, he, he gave him bad trivia. He said Mike Squires was the third baseman <laughs> for the 83 White Sox. He was uh, the backup first baseman. You regard, fucking idiot. Regardless, I thought White Sox Dave kind of, he kind of ran out of material quickly and kind of shrunk in the moment. Although he felt like he was tiny to begin with. He was like a foot shorter than Q. Yeah. He, he was definitely, John was definitely talking down to him. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> on, so, more, yeah. In, on more than one way, but I'm not sure that Cusack's comeback was that great, but Dave did not have much material, which I was surprised by because that's his, his entire livelihood. And he seemed to shrink in the moment and look pretty bad by the end. Um, and, Pretty much universally on social media, at least the 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 PR it wasn't, stuff backfired. It wasn't, yeah, it wasn't entertaining at all. It's just no, stupid. I thought he could have had a lot better lines, and I'm sure he's used on his podcast for years that he blanked on. So all he all he kept saying was, "You just can't be a you can't be a fan of both teams." Which, like, which, which, like, yeah, yeah, like, yeah. He like, like he yeah he locked up basically, which I feel by the way almost, go, almost feel bad for him. But. Hey, 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 every everyone listening out there. Go watch that, and when Smitty and I reference of what this podcast would have been like ten years ago, there you go. Oh yeah, that, that's, that's probably what this podcast yeah, would have been like ten. Yeah, yeah. Not, not many people would want to listen to that, or no. fewer than listen to this right now, I guess. <laughs> but anyhow, I digress. Yeah. But yeah, so um, so I think Cusack wins, kind of. Uh, he, he and White Sox Dave is at the same time, correct. Um, so it's just an odd thing. I, I just think it's kind of just bad, bad social media in general. So a mar, uh, marred, maybe a black mark on the black sock, <laughs> the black Sunday socks magic. But other than that, a fantastic night for you guys. Uh, while we're talking about shit, you can't, couldn't make up. I think you had something interesting that came up before game one that I was yeah, unaware that, of. That did not ha- come out until after game one. So um, later, at least I didn't see until after we were on the air, but um, I saw this coming out of Detroit as Detroit believes this has signaled the way of someone returning to their team <laughs> uh, in 2022. But Justin Verlander, who's uh, been, what's he recovering from? Is it Tommy John or? Yeah, some kind of, um, he's been out the whole season. He apparently has been uh, absentee for uh, Houston. Like he hasn't really visited the clubhouse much and whatnot. So. Which is strange. That That is not a typical behavior. Usually an injured player is at least around the clubhouse a bit if he's yeah. not with the team all year, but. I guess as an exiting free agent, maybe, maybe, that's, yeah, maybe that's why, but for, so. Or a some, potentially exiting this, free agent. Yeah, Sorry. I don't want to make decisions for JB. Somebody in, uh, in the media relations and in promotions thought it was going to be a great idea to have Verlander come out and throw the first pitch before game one. Well, some of the players, they were not named in this article, got wind that Verlander was going to throw the first pitch out, and they went to owner Jim Crane and demanded that he not throw the first pitch out. Yeah, because they were not happy with him not being with the yeah, team all year. Yeah, okay. just ignoring them all year, which I, I don't really have a problem with them doing that. But It seems a little petty. Uh, yeah, um, but... 
but there like, might be some animosity that we don't know. He's yeah, probably they're, they're, the highest paid player on the team. Well, which... I think that, yes, that's part of it. And they're like, why are we going to celebrate someone who hasn't been with us all year? We so. do need to back up a little bit here. This is a rumor. This was this originated from a, a morning talk show radio host in Houston. And I believe what you're referencing is an article written about that from Detroit. But yes, this is this is a radio guy in Houston that that says he has sources that told him this whole story. It's not been corroborated and it's not been substantiated by anybody. It sounds like something that could have happened, though. I don't I, I don't know who this this shock jock radio guy is if he's credible or not, but I, I think we could take it as most likely true. Um, it didn't seem crazy. It did seem, I could see why Houston, you know, the PR people would, would want to bring in JV possibly, you know, trying to woo him, uh, bring him back as a free agent if they want him um, you know, just to get, get him back in front of the crowd. would be a nice moment, but obviously the PR crew did not understand the, that there might be some animosity from the teammates or not understand the full situation. So I think, I think these rumors are plausible, but they are rumors only at this point. So whatever, but that was definitely some, some funny shit you could make up that I'd never heard of a team like boycotting or putting the kiboshers on a first pitch. So. Um, so yeah, why don't we, uh, before we get into game four, why don't we go ahead and take a break if you're cool with that? Well, that's cool. Right here on the, we'll be right back on the Wordhole Media Network. Wordhole Media. If you were two and seven, you'd be in a bad mood too. Whoa, he has trouble with the snap, and the ball is free! And... Oh, he hits the upright again! That's impossible! Get your mouth shut. Get your mouth shut, jerk. The Bears' season's going to end on a double doink. If worms had machine guns, then birds wouldn't be scared of them. Don't admit this podcast. Just a couple of Chicago pricks united by our hatred of the University of Michigan football and the Chicago Bears. Find us at lipditkas.com and anywhere you listen to podcasts. So a pivotal game four was delayed by one day due to rain and you were planning on going to that game that was delayed and you ended up getting tickets. You were able to go to the rain delayed. Game. Yeah. I mean, real quick. Um, yeah. What's I was, that story? Well, it's pretty awesome. I'm on the How'd train. You get tickets? I'm uh, well, Robin's a vendor, Robin, uh, she her she does all the travel for her company that's part of her job well it just so happens that the travel vendor they use is the same travel vendor for the white Sox. nice so um they uh, knew she was a big fan and they said we got two tickets in 145 row 14 seats five and six come on down so if we had if we had income if we had if we made any money off of this we'd have to put her on salary i mean she's, she's <laughs> one that she was the one that got the grand slam can pick up she's that's got, true she's lining that's us up true. with everything so i know so thank you robin you're a winner you're so a champ I, on my way down i get the alert that the game has been canceled yeah. um or postponed you know postponed till you had an idea though the well weather looked I had, pretty shitty i kept looking did. 
I tell you what, uh, I tell you what, Ryan, I kept looking at Doppler radar and it was not looking good, but they're looking, there might be a window there at four o'clock. Mm. So uh, I thought maybe they'd get it in, but that was not the case. And it didn't really matter. I was going to see Ryan's favorite band that night, Japanese breakfast. So I had to go into the city anyway. So, um, I've never heard anything about so, the Japanese breakfast. But so it was, it was, uh, it wasn't a total loss, just that. I then had to go back to my boss and say, Hey, guess what just happened? Uh, did your boss already know what was going on? No, not yet. Oh, and, no. uh, they were fine with it. Thankfully. Boy, that is awesome. Yeah. Yeah. So shout out, shout out to those guys. Where, where do you work again? Shout out to Ike sports. Yeah. Um, so we, uh, we headed to the ballpark very early just cause we couldn't wait to get there. Right. This is, Game four, and I knew what was going to happen before the game, even even before, not the not the loss, but I knew what Dusty was doing before it was announced. Uh-huh. The minute the pitchers changed, the minute the game changed, I apologize. The minute the game changed back a day, I knew McCullers Jr. was pitching, and here's why. He would be on normal rest, wouldn't he? Yeah, well, it was four days rest. He has pitched on four days rest multiple times this year, has not lost, has not skipped a beat. Mm-hmm. His ERA's numbers are are marginal. Same thing about him home and away. His numbers are nearly identical. Yeah. This is the reason he did it, because uh, I can't even pronounce the pitchers. Or er, Kitty? Or... Er, I, I can't even pronounce the Houston's pitcher's name who was supposed to pitch. That was a good effort, though. I appreciate yeah. that. Uh, his splits were horrendous. Oh, two. This is some of the stuff I had talked about too. Yeah. Home road. He was two. his ERA was two runs higher on the road. So they could have used them in game five back at home. Cause his like home ERA was like two, six, five. Mm. Um, his, he, he had, you know, you can look at everything in splits. It's crazy. He was, four seven five era during the day on grass which is exactly the which is exactly what was about to happen so only there there was no like we were joking around dusty's panicking or whatever it was just really smart it just makes sense it just makes a no-brainer it was a no-brainer mccullers has owned owned the Sox in three games now two in the regular one in the postseason he pitched fine in both parks in the regular season. There's no reason not to pitch him. Get it done in four games. Get a couple extra days of rest if you can. So, you know, in a yeah, way, that, that rain out like, actually worked in Houston's favor. Yeah, it totally worked that. in Houston's favor. The other factor in that is just the massive momentum you had coming off Sunday night was kind right. of like mitigated by that extra day. So, I'm wondering, I was thinking immediately that, uh, you know, the rain out somehow helped you guys. But I think in the, in the long run, it, it certainly helped certainly in those two ways, big ways, I think helped, helped Houston. So, yeah, I think it did too. Um, it gave Rodon an extra day, but he'd already had like 10 days off. Hadn't he? Yeah. And, and to be honest with you, back to Rodon, the pitch that got him knocked out of the game. Hmm. He just was get. You got a pre- professional fucking hitter at the plate Korea who guessed that he was going to try Correa, to future fight. Yeah. Future Detroit Tigers. Fine. He's going to get that. He was going to try to get a high fastball by him. The, yeah. the pitch wasn't. They weren't respecting his slider at all. Yeah. And the deal was the pitch was very high. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, he was like was swinging lo- up. 
like up around his face. He, he is. Korea yeah. went up and got it. Now I didn't get to see that till the replay, and the way it was made, the sound was that you know he hung a fastball. That no, was not, not a hung all. fastball no. at all. I thought Dusty. I'm sorry. I thought Larusa TLR. He pulled it way too early on Rodon, and brought in who was previously unavailable, Kopech, to come in and pitch. It had been yeah. announced before the game. I forget and how then, many pitches he had in game. Game three, but he uh, had like a day fit, off, so like why? fifty or so, yeah. yeah. But he had a day in between. No, so. I know, I know. Um, he was very ineffective. Crochet came in and calmed things down for a moment. He had a great, another great postseason. He had no runs scored against him the entire postseason, and I think he had one or no runs scored against him in his first postseason last year. So prior to Game Four. I thought he gave up. I thought he gave up a run in the fourth. Uh, I must have been charged to someone else. Is he already oh, zero for okay. the series? Okay. Yeah. yeah, it could have been. It, I wonder if that went on Kopex. Yeah, maybe. So, because he definitely gave up a run, but yeah, it wasn't his earned. Yeah. So, um, you know, I you needed you needed a you needed some length out of your starter that game, <laughs> yeah. uh, obviously, and it was it was two to one. I yeah. mean, it seemed again, it was like renteria panic in in the game three. And I just unless I, the plan was all along that once Rodon got around 60 some pitches, he wasn't gonna be able to stay in the game. Well, I texted you before that. I think he is he's damaged. I think it's clear he was getting as much as he could in this last start potentially of his White Sox career. I mean, he was throwing 100 or close to 100. He got up back up to 99 for the first time since early in the season. So he was giving it all. And I think he he was, and I think the whole White Sox philosophy is, you know, hopefully we can get three innings out of him. And they couldn't quite get that. But he essentially, he, <laughs> there's a few things that happened. Like he wasn't willing to throw his slider main for a few reasons. Uh, I don't know if it wasn't very good. His fastball was certainly effective, but. I don't think he was confident that Grandal was going to be able to stop stop a ball in the dirt. It was part of, part of the issue, so he was scared to throw it almost. Um, and the you know the Astros hitters talked about it after the game they were not looking for anything but fastballs off him. That's definitely what Correa did. Just laced that one. It, it was it was so high, and he just knew it was going to be a fastball, and he just laced it in the left field in the corner. So that's what changed the game right there. That's what led everything everything into motion. But I think. I don't think I'm not sure that Tony panicked at that moment. I think that was by design. They were going to get him out early, no matter what. But you know, I could be wrong. Maybe maybe he did. But that's just seem. It seemed like going into that start that Rodon was not going to be in there for very long, which was sort of the whole reason he was saving Kopech. Yeah, and and yeah. kind of Dylan Cease fucked that whole thing up by going an inning and two thirds. So. Yeah. Yeah, well, that's that's one of the stories of the series. You're starting pitching. You, you, you guys had. I think that's the well. Besides, Twelve and a third innings out of your starters. Yeah, yeah averaging uh, three uh, innings a game. Uh, atrocious, atrocious. Yeah. I mean, I was worried about the Lance Lynn start, and it went exactly as how I thought it would go. Mm. Um, Giolito was shocking. That I thought he'd go. And not that it was an awful start. It was. It just wasn't great. No, it was it was walks. I mean, walks got all of our guys. I mean, uh, (laughs) you sound like White Sox Dave right there. uh, 
So you had decent weather at least. That was oh, not yeah, much well, of a game me, after let me, the. Let me let me, let me t- talk about some good things. Okay. One please. again, the excitement like pregame. Yeah. Our seats end up being right where Ozzy Benetti and Garfine are doing the pregame. So I think oh, I nice. sent you that picture. They're on the field doing the pregame. We walked down to like go watch them and listen. No, to them I didn't get for that a little picture. Bit. Oh, you didn't. No. But the cell service was terrible there. Ever since U.S. Cellular dropped, dropped <laughs> it, there's no good cell service there anymore. Oh, uh, but the mortgage rates are great from that field. Um, anyway, so yes. there's that. And then, you know, the game starts and the energy was just as, I mean, the crowd was nuts. It looked cool. Yeah. It was, it was it crazy. Was, it didn't seem quite, I think the blackout is more effective at night or you can do yeah. the crazy shit with the LED lights. Yeah, right. Exactly. So it, it was definitely, it definitely looked cool on TV on, on Tuesday, but it was not like Sunday night. It was, there was just, I mean, I, like I said, there's, I haven't seen a game quite like that Sunday. So it'd be hard to replicate that during the day. Yeah. And then like you were saying, like freaking Rodon's first inning, just electric and like yeah. everyone's going nuts. When he's, when, when he throws the high heat at 99 and, and gets the strikeout on Bregman, I mean, it was, it was fucking nuts. Like people were like, well, I never sat down. It was nice. like a, it was like a concert, right? You don't <laughs> you just didn't sit down, and then, you know, we take we end up in the second, jumping in the early one zero lead with Gavin Sheets, you know, getting that ball over the center field wall, and then an Eloy Jimenez type mm. injury occurs for the Houston center fielder, the rookie. Yeah, I thought he did the exact same thing, like pulled a pack or something, kind of hanging on the wall trying to get that. But yeah, and at least that ball was catchable. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> and it yeah. wasn't this and, and it wasn't, wasn't preseason. Spring, it wasn't spring training. Oh, but man. uh I uh anyway. So uh <laughs> great you know, moments that, in 2021 so, Sox so history. Like, we'll do that next week. Yeah, right. Moment, you know, boom, like wow, we're momentum is still on our side. Yeah. We got to McCullers already. We didn't even get to him at all in that first game. Yep. And that was kind of where that was it. It was it. And As even you, after that, McCullers had to leave fairly early. He we, left in the fourth inning. He had tightness in his right forearm, and now he is out for the ALCS. Which oh, is, I didn't see that. That just came out today. So that I mean, forearm tightness that immediately says elbow to me, and that says Tommy John, which Ooh. is just brutal. I mean, if he's out for the ALCS, it's serious. So yeah, I think he, I think you can write that write that up for McCullers. So don't pick him in your fantasy team next year. Thanks for that tip. Yeah. Why am I giving you tips on this? But, um, but you know, and kind of like this, this is how, kind of how it went all series long for the most part. Like we would score, Houston would score right back. Depending on the game, we might score again the next inning. But pretty much Houston scored those two runs and then Kopech came in and suddenly it was like five to one, right? Yeah. And, and, and the, it was like, really like a slow death in the ballpark if you could tell on tv that you know like like they say like a pin in a balloon the the energy just sapped out of the crowd it's almost like you guys blew your load too soon or something just like rodan like it was too much too soon just like cease actually just throwing he was throwing 100 in his first inning and couldn't couldn't sustain it but right and then yeah their relievers came in and just shut you down it was like it was actually kind of a painful broadcast because you know like I mentioned, Wainwright, this is his first broadcast, uh, second game, I guess, but they were trying to help him along. There just wasn't a whole lot to talk about. They were talking about the Art Institute, 
uh they were talking about all all the great he was trying to talk about art history at some point about all the all the great art he saw at the art institute got a little got a little long-winded for a while there but they were trying to hold it together they're talking about the cloud gate the met the big mirror bean that everyone likes to talk about in chicago um that, that that's where we got to eventually in that broadcast which was uh pretty sad for a playoff game so um other big stories out of game four though we have to touch on is uh, once again, Jose Abreu was hit by a pitch, and there's a intentionally. Lot. Yep, there's some there's some layers to this. Um, I think this is what's the fascinating thing about baseball, and specifically hit by pitch and the eternal debate: was it intentional or unintentional? And we'll never know uh, because no one will ever admit to it, especially a team going well, no in. One, yeah going into a, another round of the playoffs, they're not going to admit that they hit someone on purpose for fear of suspensions or whatever. Yes. Else. And fine, just fines alone. Like why would yes. you lose $5,000 by saying I meant to hit him when you could just say, I don't know. You know it's does, does it make any sense to hit him at that point? But Tony LaRussa, the ever crusader for honesty, integrity, and character. <laughs> Well, demanded, well, demanded the truth out of the Astros and Dusty Baker and questioned their character and everything else for not admitting that they had hit him on purpose. And I don't even, I don't, I don't know. It well, probably here, was here's actually, the, but yeah, here's the deal. And this goes back to the Otani situation. Mm-hmm. The umpires made the judgment that we hit Otani on purpose because all the pitches were inside. Same thing happened. To and Abreu. the same thing happened to Abreu where yeah. Graveman was like, he missed his head like twice. So, you know, that's bad. It, it is bad. Yeah. And it, I, lo- I it, lo- it. it looked bad. I didn't feel like Abreu was even all that upset. I've seen Abreu upset. He just got upset th- two weeks ago against the Tigers and lost his fucking mind at second base. And he didn't look anything like that in this. No. So, I'm, which I'm confused by because I feel like this is far more intentional than what the Tigers did. So, Maybe there's there's might be more layers to that that we'll be learning in coming years, hopefully, as our rivalry kicks off again in 2022. But so I just my I guess my my main thought with Larusa, I'm not sure in Abreu, I think they're probably right, but Larusa just looked like a child by the end of it. He it's like you're he lost perspective on what they're out there for his his whole goal in life was to get them to admit that they threw at him instead of trying to win the game. Well, no, I think that's what he was doing though. I think he was trying to get the pitcher like, like he was delaying the game to try he delayed to, the game for a yes, long time. Long, was, way too. It that's was where we got into the bean time. discussion. I think. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I mean, it was. He did that was, against the Tigers, and AJ yeah. Hinch got pissed. Like how much I mean, time he was taking. But I, I think he really was. You know, whether you liked it or not, it was his way of. He was trying to swing yeah. some momentum back into the Sox dugout. It. it just looked. I thought it looked child. I. It is a strategy. It looked childish, and it looked like sour grapes. He was just angry that they lost, and found something to, to latch onto, and just wouldn't let go. And just that was his whole post game conference. He barely talked about, you know, he's proud of his team and what a, what a great effort they gave all season. Came up short. All he could talk about is he won. He demanded demanded the truth, uh, questioned the character. It was just, it, it, it looked childish for a 77-year-old man. But I again, he he has a point, but it just seems like there's a time and a place where you can you can do those things. And that was not the time or the place. So 
Um, it, I, again, I thought it was strange that Abreu was not nearly, or maybe I missed it. Maybe he was really pissed off. No, and, he was over there talking it. with uh, yeah. Guriel, like, yeah. you know, like, like, it's like, it's all good. He probably was saying, like, I know Tony really likes me, but come on now, let's just get this over with. <laughs> <laughs> well, since we've recapped the series, this leads me to my inevitable asshole question for this week. Are these really the questions that I was called here to answer? Clown question, bro. That ain't no kind of answer. I'll answer the question. You're goddamn right. You may fold under questioning. <laughs> I guess you know, we, we've, out, we've illustrated and outlined everything that, that went wrong for the Sox. What? What would you be your? What would you rank number one as the main reason that the Sox didn't win the series? Would you rank the starting pitching failure, the reliever reliever issues, your manager and his questionable managing the bullpen and other things? The defense is one thing we didn't talk about uh, very much. Um, well, I, I, I would or the it, offense even. I mean, well, you had you had six six extra base hits in the entire series. Yeah, and somehow that has us leave the uh, playoffs as the third best OPS in all the playoffs this year, which is really bizarre. <laughs> we have the third highest OPS. All those singles just added up. Yeah, they just yeah, added you were up. You on base, those and, walks. And wow. the 12-6 to 6 game apparently just like that was... vaulted us all the way up to number three. Wow. Boston and Houston are one and two. So, um, I'm forcing you to pick one. This is, uh, Admittedly, this is definitely an asshole question. Yeah, so. I mean... Uh, to me, the starting pitching is the biggest failure. Yeah, I think I think you were leaning on starting pitching all year long. You you had such great starters, and that that was the opposite of what of what you thought you were going to get. You know, going and, and I and I think I sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. No, it's cool, Smitty. But like, I think when that's what you had all year, and it sort of gave the offense energy. Mm-hmm. The offense itself kind of became deflated and almost knew like like all of a sudden. The Sox had that luxury all year of the offense not having to put the entire game on their shoulders to win it so they could kind of play loose like yeah. with their at-bats and that. Now it felt like if we don't score yeah. 10 runs a game, we're not going to win. And that basically what it would have taken to win the couple of those other games. So yeah, definitely game two. 11, 11 would have taken for game four. So two and four, yeah. Yeah, so, wow. so when you think about it like that, I've got to look at the starting pitching and go where the fuck are you? What the fuck happened? I mean, that's where I think we, we should get deeper into that stat you pulled up that I've not seen anywhere else. Kudos to you about the more 95 mile an hour plus pitches by a large margin than anyone else. I wonder if that adds to fatigue down the stretch or something, but yeah, I mean, I I think we got, I think we got a bunch of things to consider here. I mean, um, and I, I don't know, like the Braves starting pitch. I was looking at starting pitching. The Braves, just, just through fair comparison, because the Sox are like second to last in ERA for the playoffs. But the Braves have a 1.54 ERA as, as a pitching staff in the playoffs so far against yeah. the Brewers. The Bre- that, that, that You just said it, against the Brewers. I that's that, still, that's, it's still impressive. It's, it's the playoffs. Impressive. It's impressive, especially being the road team in the playoffs. So I was never um, impressed with the Brewers' offense. I was very impressed with their pitching staff. And their defense. But, they play yeah. solid defense, too. Which Holton Wong. I knew they were going to be playing some defense. but Which, you know, to me... 
not in the playoffs, uh, in the playoffs too, but as a glaring thing, the one of the things, and, and this is like I kind of ties back into managerial problems too, is one of the things when LaRusa arrived, one of the things I immediately thought was you like the defense was going to get shored up. Like yeah. it was going to be a lot better. Cause, cause like he's an old school dude. He's an Ozzie Gian, you know, Ozzie Gian, they barely made an error. I mean, they, mm-hmm. they were, they had airtight defense. He pushed them through drills and all that. And I guess that just didn't happen. Never happened under Renteria. And it, 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 I don't know if they just continued more of the same under La Russa and, and they didn't focus on, I mean, you, you, you've got, you know, you had Anderson and Mankata, but then there's a lot of trouble in the outfield. There's a lot of missing of, of cutoff men and just basic Yeah, right, basic yeah, stuff. yeah, like Little League shit. Well, and you also shift much less than anyone else. I hate the shift. But well, but we get beat on the shift far more. I don't know where we get our sh- fucking shift information, oh, but... That- that might be might need to be addressed too. Yeah, bad information. I, I, we got really defensive we got placement beat. is really what it's about. There were three double plays that we would have had in the playoffs if we had just played straight up defense, mm. like or at least left Timmy more towards a little bit to the other side of the bags, not quite up the middle, but almost up the middle. Um, just some key moments that could have ended innings for us and yeah. and didn't i mean we that was the other i mean you want to talk about not being able to end an inning we probably may have set a playoff record for letting up the most two out rbis in the yeah. history of the playoffs i yeah. mean that well, was that's, insane that's what houston does too i mean that's that's how they've they've generated offense all, i mean all it was long, it was but... it was frustrating like every time you're like we're about to get out of this inning then your three runs three more runs came across the plate but to me overall in the playoffs i'm, I'm, I'm getting long-winded but overall in the playoffs it's your podcast start starting <laughs> pitching was the biggest disappointment to me well, thank you for answering my question. Honestly, ask hole is be- becoming my favorite segment of the, of the podcast as I demand honesty out of you and you give it to me. It's fantastic. So you need to, hopefully my teams will make the playoffs one of these years and you can grill me when they flame out of the playoffs summarily. So, uh, we have one more segment to talk about <laughs> after, after uh, the season is yes. over. Now, uh, we have Bob's bad tweets. Bobby, over here. Bob. Oh, Bob. Bob. Not great, Bob. Postseason Bob. One of our favorite horrific social media Twitterers, Bob Nightingale from USA Today. And uh, would you you call him a White Sox insider? It's hard to tell because... This is the this information's is, right about 50% of the time. It's not good. He doesn't have good information. <laughs> We've learned this over the years. I, is, um, I, wait, is, did Eduardo Escobar not make the playoff roster? Or was he just never on the team? Yeah. I'm still looking for him on the roster. <laughs> there, I did not see him play in the playoffs for you. Guys, he so is I'm a free sure. agent though. He is a free agent. So <laughs> yeah. As Bob Nightingale famously uh, basically said that it was a done deal that Eduardo Escobar would be on the White Sox before the trade deadline and still hasn't happened. So his credibility as a White Sox insider is, is kind of dwindled, but 
Bob decided for whatever reason he needed to tweet out yesterday that uh, one day, of course, after the White Sox exited the playoffs, he had to tell the world that Craig Kimbrell is expected to be signed uh, to his $60 million team option and then traded. And there's, there's a lot of questions I have about this tweet. It, uh, there are no grammatical errors. I was proud of Bob. Uh, <laughs> full sentences, no spelling errors. Oh, uh, it was. You know what? He may have taken his time. He may. It was in the middle of the day, so he maybe hadn't had his bourbon yet or something. Um, <laughs> whatever he does. Yeah, whatever that man does. Cocaine. <laughs> um, he. Th- there's a lot of layers to this one, especially. First of all. The timing. Uh, Why is this being talked about the day after uh, the, this is the, the, you know, the day after their, you know, a a bad playoff loss um, is there's a couple theories, I guess, out there. And I have, is this a leak from the White Sox getting it out there that, you know, we're going to address Craig Kimball right away and essentially making him a scapegoat for, for what's happened. They got to give a face to, you know, this, this disappointing loss. Um, is Craig Kimbrell the reason why this all happened? And if it is, we're going to address this, we're going to sign him and then we're going to fucking trade him. Um, the other theory is that Bob's just trying to get his name out there and he's just, the way he worded it is, you know, Craig Kimbrell is expected to be signed and then traded. Well, is this Bob expecting this to happen? You know, he didn't quote sources or anything else. And this is what the weird thing about Twitter and social media is in general for, for journalists. You know, what, what is this a story? It became a story only because he tweeted this out, but he didn't cite anyone. He has, there, there's no, nothing to back this up. It's just expected. And he can, he can hide behind that. He could just say, well, yeah, everyone expects this or, it could be literally just him expecting this. So I thought it was strange, but I don't know what did, did you, did you find this as strange as I did or. Yeah. I found it really strange. Again, we'll never know if there was almost an Eduardo Escobar deal in place, but let's hypothetically, let's hypothetically well, say yeah, there we broke was, this down. right. He may have ruined that he, trade. If he could have ruined happen. that trade. And now he's essentially if this is the White Sox plan, he's essentially devalued a trade because if every team in baseball knows they're just signing him, they're just picking up his option him. just to trade him away. They know you, they know they're you, desperate to get rid of him. So. Yeah, what are you going to give up? The, I'm glad you pointed out because beyond that, even the logic is it's far. So oh, it's it, too. It's way too risky. Well, first of all, it's simple. You, you just don't pick up the option. The oldest adage in the book, do not buy high and sell low. Well, they bought as high as they could get on Craig Kimbrell as he had a, basically a zero ERA with the Cubs, gave up their second baseman of the future and a really, really solid middle reliever. Yeah. And now they would be trading him at his absolute depth of value, the lowest value you could possibly have right now. I, I mean, this is as bad as he's been. This is this is what he looked like the first When he first got to the Cubs, Cubs. yeah. All right, yeah. yeah held on and got the best out of him and they may have their second baseman of the future and a solid middle reliever so i really hope this is not i cannot believe this is rick Hahn's logic that 
he would trade him in the offseason. And, and specifically in the tweet, it would say he was he would be traded this winter. So it was not like they would trade him at some point. This is the same thing I went over this past offseason with Chris Bryant. You could not trade him in the offseason as idiots like Dave Kaplan on the radio wanted their pound of flesh because they're so angry they didn't make the playoffs last year. You got to make these guys pay. We'll trade out, trade everybody off. You do not trade assets at the lowest point in their value. It's just, it's fucking stupid. It's economics. This is the simplest thing. If you want your your franchise to be successful, you you don't waste assets like that. You you do everything you can to boost their value. And the only the only way they could wait for the the only thing they could do with at least with Chris Bryant was wait till the trade deadline, and that worked out quite well actually. Um, or I don't know how well that is considering how bad the Cubs were, but. It worked out exactly the way I thought it was going to, that they would wait, boost hope, hope beyond hope that is he would have a decent first half and be able to get something for him rather than being angry and emotional and trading him out of spite for, for no good reason other than spite. And so the yeah. idea that the Cubs, that the Sox would be doing the same thing is 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 stupid. So I, I don't believe that's going to happen. No, I think they're just not picking up the option. Why? Ooh, well, that's a whole different thing. I, I think that'd be that'd be almost the same thing, though. That'd be giving up on an asset for nothing. Um, well, I mean, what what it costs you sixteen million to hold on to them? Yeah, I think they should do Could the be same be thing. Be better spent elsewhere. Well, so you're giving up on on Kimbrel. This well, this, well, might, he, this might be a lot a lot longer offseason. Well, I mean, but... he's not an eighth inning setup guy, and that's his role. Why is that his role? Why does it have to be his role? We, we've already talked about this. We, we, we talked about this months ago that he needed to be at least experimented with in the ninth inning or wherever. But I think that's a failure of, of Tony La Russa, basically not, not to try him, not to really give him a shot at, at ninth and see if, see if Hendricks could actually thrive in the seventh or eighth or wherever they need him at the most lever- highest leverage point at the end of the game. I mean, I guess, I guess if the idea though, I'm following you on this one, Smitty. I guess if the idea is to sign him and trade him at the deadline hmm. for possibly something else, you could, in the first half of the season, use him on and off as a closer, have his value up quite high, and then trade you've him to someone spare, who's desperate. You've got a spare closer right there. I, I'm assuming you guys are going to be really fucking good again next year. Uh, so well, especially after Marcus Simeon's our second baseman and comes back home. <laughs> I'm not sure you need to trade anybody. I don't, I don't see why, why suddenly, you know, three months after you, everyone in the world is so ecstatic about how incredible your bullpen should be after trading for Craig Kimbrell, why that can't still happen. Why, why, yeah. it's, why it's impossible. I think it's very possible. I think uh, was, I think we agreed that he was misused, and I think you can experiment. It was not a, there was no experimenting. And I think that's that's the failure of, of your manager. Tlr. Yeah. So I I think I think I think it just comes back to everything is ridiculous about Bob's tweet. There, I don't think it makes any sense. I think it's I think it just it's it's bad journalism. But that that's that's where we are these days in the world you can of social say media. You want. So, yeah, yeah, exactly. So remember, you and I have talked for years about just going on Twitter and making up trades at the trade deadline. Why not? A I source think, has told us. I think. Yeah, <laughs> I think we should get deeper into, into Craig Kimbrell in the, this off season. I think that'll be a fascinating thing. But I, I, just on the surface, it makes no sense to trade him this winter. No, uh, no, it doesn't. 
if things go south during the season, you know, for whatever reason, then you you got to gamble at least. I mean, if you pick up the option, then you use them, right? It's It's only money that you're gambling. I I can tell you one thing right now: if they do pick up the option, it is going to be entertaining and annoying on Twitter uh, from White Sox Nation. well, that's that's why that that theory exists that the White Sox leaked that out there to give give Sox fans their pound of flesh. We're, we're it's this guy's fault, and we're going to take care of it. And I, I just I mean I don't I don't know I don't that, know that I'm connecting it, dots there. Yeah, but, that, but you know I, I think the it's, I think you know the reaction of Sox fans. Is, I well, I think it's a hundred percent number two though. You know, yeah. Bob just hasn't had his name out there in a yeah. while, so he needed something. Yeah. Um. He's paid for clicks. Yeah. So we got to get into that business somehow. How do we get paid for clicks? Hmm. I you know, don't know. We're, get, we're getting we free beer. So that, yeah, that's all might, I ever wanted. We might want to, so. I might want to, maybe I'll talk to those guys might know what to do there. We've already, we've already gone far beyond our wildest dreams by getting free beer out of this podcast. So thank yes. you. Revolution Brewing Company. Revolution. I had some, by the way, Revolution Brewing. How can I get a hold of 19.2 ounce? Oh yeah, anti-heroes. I was drinking at at, a wonderful guaranteed rate after the game, drowning my sorrows. I I mean, you got to shoot an email over to over to the people over there. Yeah, I was like, I was like, where did these giant cans come from? (laughs) That was a giant can, nineteen point two. Yeah, I got so excited, folks. I took a picture and sent it immediately to Smitty, and was like, look at these. (laughs) Oh, it was delicious. As I. As I, I, I and, and I'm going to, I'm going to call, I need to close with, I have to make a closing statement today. Okay. I'm ready. So as I sat there thinking about what had just occurred, um, there, there's a couple of things I just want to say. And I want to say this to everyone who's a White Sox fan that's listening and folks who follow me on Twitter. And I don't know if any of those folks listening on this, but uh, this, this is a really good group of players that goes far beyond like, you know, just like a few guys we're, we're talking probably nine players deep between pitchers and, and starting position players that are going to be in place for a, a long time. At least, you know, you got, you got, you, we got two more years of, of, of Lance Lynn. And then after this year, we got two more options of Timmy. Uh, uh, club options that is so he's not gonna have a choice um so um yeah and then we got those other guys locked up on the team quote-unquote friendly deals which won't really even Ray know is that. the only one gone after yeah, next year yeah which we won't even know the truth of that until after his collective bargaining agreement is done so we'll stay tuned this off season stay tuned this off season which follow is that closely which could screw everything up for all of our team's plans depending on how things go but the idea, you have reason for optimism, I think, is your I, point. I am opti- I'm. It's a different feeling than when the White Sox have lost in years past. Because in most times when the White Sox have lost in years past, it's they're not the team that's supposed to be there. They're the team that suddenly clicks and makes it there. Right. There wasn't a the, long-term plan for z- sustained success. Exactly. The now. So when, when friends of mine shoot back at me that the reason they are not optimistic uh, going forward is because of uh, 2009 and 1984. And it, it's just an archaic way of thinking because none of these archaic pe- is perfect. 
perfect way to describe none it. None of these people exist on this team anymore. This is a completely different team, and it's a completely different culture outside they wear, of the owner. They wear the same laundry. That that's the biggest connection. Yes. I mean well, not even if you go back to 83, those were completely different uniforms. Well, I hope well, they, hopefully they've Sundays, changed their uniforms. On over the Sundays years, but... they wear the same laundry as 1983. <laughs> okay. That's right, right. Tony feels at home every Sunday. He's like, ah, <laughs> back in my old digs. Um, but <laughs> but they they this is also a team, uh, much like uh Smitty has seen uh with the Illich family when when uh daddy Illich, I can't think of his first name, sorry, Mike. was Mike was getting late older. Mike Illich. Mike did not didn't mind opening up the the pocketbook to sign talent in hopes to get that World Series before he died. And we're kind of at that same point with Jerry Reinsdorf at this point. And yeah. you 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 know mortalities in his head after unfortunately his wife passed away this this past season. So mm. there there is gonna be a sense of urgency still, especially since like a guy like Lance Lynn is only with you for two more years. So the the main part of the window is the next two years. And the only other thing I wanted to point out is uh, there's two things I want to point out. One, I don't understand the narrative that suddenly came out that the White Sox were supposed to win the division and supposed to be in the ALCS this year when most people in the preseason had them finishing third in the division and maybe making the wild card. World Series Uh, or bust. That was the the T-shirt. No, no, right. No, that's, that's, I mean, that's what every team's aspiration should be. But I don't understand where every sports person went from saying they were on the cusp to suddenly they were supposed to go on and win the World Series and how this year is just a huge disappointment. Especially when my final point is you and I have discussed this and we're in agreement on this. If the Sox played a full season last year, they would not have made the playoffs. If they had played a 162-game season, they yeah. would not have made the playoffs outside of the ball. They would have been close. Yeah, I'm not but sure if, I 100% agree with that. It's hard It's hard to measure. But, last year was so weird in so many yeah. ways, especially so, the schedule and you know playing the same 10 teams, 9 the, teams. So. And, and while we can all say this is the first time in club history, which just, just makes me want to throw up in my mouth, that they've made it to the postseason in back-to-back years. Yeah. That, that's embarrassing. But at the same time, this is really their first true year of making yeah. the postseason with this team because they played a full schedule and then went into the postseason. So let's not get too upset and be overly disappointed now, I will tell you right now on this podcast, on this day of the 14th of 14th. October, that if they do not make the LCS next year, I would be majorly disappointed. Whoa. Uh, we got to make some kind of bet. Time stamp this. <laughs> Seal this in a bottle. What are the stakes? We'll, we'll come up uh, I with love that. steak. We'll build steaks. <laughs> I How about we'll, I uh, treat you to a revolution beer? If uh, yeah, there wrong. you go. We'll <laughs> we'll, uh, we'll we'll discuss we'll, this. We'll maybe. Do, we have plenty of time to discuss yeah, we have, this. We have time to discuss. I think I think White Sox consternation comes to what we just talked about with the uh, you know if you could pin one thing on why they lost this series. The problem is there's probably five or six things you could oh, pin on. God, no, so no doubt. That, I mean, and, that, and then, that's the frustration, I believe. So I think we'll we'll be able to break those down throughout the off season. Um, 
lot lots of interesting things to talk about with hopefully with hopefully we have baseball hopefully we have a a free agent market that emerges after a successful collective bargaining uh agreement is made uh so hopefully we have more of that but we need to get going so you can watch your Giants play game five of the NL, uh, NLDS against the L.A. Dodgers. Bottom of the third. The bottom of the third. couple of goose eggs up there. All right. We haven't missed anything, but nope. we will be talking about that maybe as soon as this weekend, depending on what happens. But we will definitely be talking in the next next week or so. We will be talking. Episode 86. We'll be talking about Chris Bryan's go ahead and game winning home run in this game. So. Wow, that would be a good story for the pod. I like it. I like your thinking. <laughs> <laughs> so I think with that, we'll call this an episode. Fantastic! This is the first time we've ever de- dedicated an entire episode to just one team, and I think it definitely deserved it because this is probably as long as as long as we've gone in a while. So, uh, lot, sorry, White Sox are out. Down, yeah. Yeah, you. you guys are endlessly entertaining. They're good for the good for the pod. Appreciate appreciate the drama and the storylines. So, uh, you can find us discussing all these incredibly fascinating storylines at Major League Gay Holes. You can find us on social media at Major League Gay Holes. Uh, sorry, MajorLeagueGayHoles.com is our website. Jesus. Our uh, merchandise, lots of merchandise. I'm posting new shit. Oh, North side, yeah, South in, side rivalry. In fact, anyone who's viewing this, that the the sorcerer, the south, the south Kane side sorcerer, guy. the king guy is available on t-shirts and mugs and hoodies and hoodies. I I'm trying to decide which one I am going to purchase. Ooh, let me know. I, I, can, I, I do can need one at cost. <gasps> what? You don't say. <laughs> That's a secret. Uh, yeah. So check those all out at aesthetics.shop. Uh, you can catch this podcast anywhere you'd like to find a podcast. So do it. With that, I'm going to declare this podcast is over. Peace. Peace. Yeah! Jesus fucking Christ, it's about time. <laughs> <laughs>